Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is Kelly Jenrette, who in 2018 was nominated for an Emmy Award for her performance on the show The Handmaid's Tale. She has had a busy 2020 with roles in the films Uncorked and All Day and a Night, as well as a role on the CBS series Manhunt Deadly Games which is currently one of the top 10 shows on Netflix. We talk about all of that, along with her family connection to the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. This interview was recorded at the end of September. Kelly, uh, you are in so many things right now, and I think we should just jump in and start talking about them. Um, And the first one we should talk about is Manhunt Deadly Games. And that is a series that follows the FBI manhunt after the 96 bombing terrorist attack at the Summer Olympics in Atlanta. And I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about the show and who you play. Yes, this has been by far one of my favorite series to work on. It is about the 1996 Olympic bombing at Atlanta Centennial Olympic Park. And my character, FBI agent Stacy Knox, is going on this manhunt to try to get the bomber of that 1996 Olympic terrorist attack. We think that we have the right person, um, and we continue to believe that until we finally catch the person who actually did that bombing along with three other bombings and confess to all of the bombings. And it's just, we go we go on this journey of... You know, there is this hero in Richard Jewell who immediately falls from grace. The FBI is pursuing him. And then we kind of push that to the side when these other bombings happen happen and start chasing after that individual. And it's not until later when he confesses, the other individual confesses, that we kind of dismiss Richard Jewell. But this is Kelly talking. The FBI never officially apologized and said that he didn't do it. So it's just kind of right. like, it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, it's fine. We're not worried about you anymore. Well, and and I know you're a, um, you're from Atlanta. I grew up in South Carolina and New Orleans, and I was living in South Carolina when this happened. And it's mm-hmm. also it's surreal because it, I remember all a lot of those things going on. Uh, but then at the same time, it also feels like such a distant memory, not just because of the time. I guess there's two questions. Uh, one is why do you think this is the right time to be kind of going back and um, rebringing or, or introducing the story to a new generation? I think now is a good time because we we are in a season of the 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 phrase fake news is being thrown around a lot and the Richard Jewell case is the epitome of fake news and sensationalism. I don't think that much of what we're dealing with right now is fake news. Um, <laughs> you know, as as it is just someone not liking the news, but with Richard Jewell, we get a sense of just the sensationalism of wanting to get be the first to tell the story and get that out there and not even really taking taking a beat to get the facts. 
And so I think it's a wonderful opportunity for everyone to understand how important it is to do your own research. And, you know, the media has a job and they do it very well. But we as consumers, we have to do do the research to see, like, is that actually the case or is it not? And uh, yeah, and I think that's becoming a lot harder to do, especially with social media these days. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I did want to go back to you said uh, something earlier where you said that this was your favorite series to do. How come? Well, I like acting has always been something that I've loved and been passionate about. But growing up and graduating from high school, I allowed myself to be talked into the fact that acting was not a real job. And so <laughs> I uh, psychology and forensic psychology specifically always fascinated me. So I went to Xavier University in New Orleans because I was going to be a forensic psychologist. And uh, after taking my first science test and passing it, and then looking at my schedule over the next several years and all of the science classes, I was like, you know, I think I'd just rather (laughs) play play one on TV. So then I, I I went back home and got a degree in theater. And so this this series kind of encompassed the two things that I love that that whole FBI aspect and then being able to tell a story about the city where I was born and raised and you know even though we shot this in Pittsburgh they rebuilt Centennial Olympic Park down to the statue that that was there um and it just, it was like going back in time, just being with all the booths and the stage. And it was just, it just felt like being at home, even though I wasn't. No, that, that makes sense. I get that. And I'm wondering, because this is actually based on a real event, but your characters, uh, I read, is in a kind of amalgamation of a couple different people. Mm-hmm. How does that um, affect the way you play this character or approach the character, maybe is a better way of saying that? I don't know that it necessarily changes the way I approach the character, because for me, I I always focus on the truth, whatever the truth is for that character. And so I guess the only change would be just kind of borrowing from all of these different stories of people and and bringing them, you know, into into one person and just focusing on on telling the truth, whether I, Kelly, like that truth or not, if it's the truth of Stacey Knox, then I just have to tell that truth. Oh, wow. I love that. And that's a, that is a very theater thing to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's my first love. Theater is where I come from. It's where I got my start. And theater will always, always be my first love. There's so much to talk about. I want to talk about um, All Day and the Night on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I want to say is when you queue up the movie on Netflix, there's like this little line next, <laughs> next to the description field that reads, this movie is gritty, which I think is both accurate and obviously too simplistic of a descriptor. How mm-hmm. would you describe the film? I, I would say All Day and the Night is a story about a young man named Jacor who made decisions that had an impact on his life. And the upbringing that he had did not set him up for success, but some somehow, some way, 
he found light at the end of the tunnel. I think that's an eloquent description of this yeah. film. <laughs> I, I would also say, I, it also seems like um, even though it's there, the world is also kind of stacked against him. Yeah. Yeah, I, absolutely. Um, the world is stacked against him. You know, it is that that thing, there is a scene in it where he is working in the shoe store. He's in the shoe store and he's like, you know, trying to move the shoes around and a white woman comes in and it's like, what are you doing? As if he is trying to steal shoes. And, and, and you know, it didn't even cross her mind that he worked there. And so mm-hmm. that, you know, having to to deal with that and, you know, working at a job that you don't really want to work at, that doesn't really pay you well when you have friends who are making thousands of dollars every day by doing illegal things. But he, you know, Jacor never wanted to do that because he saw what drugs did. And I'd say it's, uh, I mean, to say the film is powerful, again, I think it's a very uh, kind of, uh, and now I'm getting choked up for it. I think to say the film is powerful, I think, um, doesn't go far enough. I, it's um, there's just some amazing performances by you and Jeffrey Wright, Ashton Sanders, Regina Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm wondering what's it like performing with such talented co-stars. Oh my God! So Jeffrey Wright is by far one of my favorite actors of all time. So much so, several years ago, I want to say 2013 or 2014, I had read something that a girl had done. You know, she. I don't know if she had written letters or she had done something for the people that she really admired and wanted to work with. And I was like, oh, that's a neat idea. So I was like, let me just write thank you cards for people whose work I really admire and want to work with one day. And at that time, there were four there were four thank you notes, Denzel Washington, Meryl Streep, Matthew McConaughey and Jeffrey Wright. And so the idea of like, oh, my God, I may be able to actually give Jeffrey Wright his card was just like I I was as I am now, like. And when I found out that I booked it, I, of course, cried because I just I, I admire Jeffrey's ability to just fully embody every single role that he is a part of. I remember the first day of shooting, I had gone through the the makeup trailer and they were like, okay, we'll just come back. We'll do hair. And as I passed, as I was going back to my trailer, I saw Jeffrey Wright, like he was in his trailer. I just saw his back and he was getting, you know, his costumes together. And I immediately like ran to the back of the trailer. I, I did a Marco Polo, a video chat with my best friend. And I was like, oh my God, I just saw Jeffrey Wright's back. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right, get yourself together. Calm down. You're here to do your job. And it's just the, it, for me, it was the, the reality of you were chosen to be here. So they saw something in you and you absolutely deserve to be here. They are not better than you. You are not less than them. You are their equal. Go and do what you were hired to do. And so just being able to work so closely with him, with everyone, it was a true honor. And I think for me, just remembering, Kelly, you deserve to be here. Do your job and do it well. 
Well, you definitely do deserve to be there. Uh, Jeffrey Wright, a lot of people know him for Bernardus Westworld. Um, I've been mm-hmm. a fan of him since like Basquiat days, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, he is quite different as JD. And I'm wondering when you got beyond the back part, seeing him beyond the back, what was it like the first time you saw him on set in that costume and especially that hair? You know, oh my God, everything was, it, it was, it was, it was very surreal and uh, Charles Gregory, who did his hair, rest in peace. He unfortunately passed away due to COVID um, uh, oh several God. months ago. Yeah, but the wig that Charles did for him, those cornrows, it was just, I mean, you would have thought it was growing out of his head. And so it was just another reminder of like this man, Jeffrey Wright, embodies every character from head to toe down to the the vocals, how they talk in Oakland and how they move, how they walk, how, just just the essence of of being from Oakland. Like he he had all of that. And and there were times there was a scene that we shot that I had to just do a mental check and say, Kelly, you're you are Delanda here. Like stop <laughs> being mesmerized by by this individual because it was just watching him is like taking a masterclass in all things acting and being still and being transparent and being vulnerable and being angry and being silent, just everything. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to talk about your other Netflix film, Uncorked. And in a weird way, it, it, they kind of tie together because they both, in a sense, are about family and um, expectations versus reality. But they are very different in every other way. And yes. I wonder if you can tell us what that's about. <laughs> oh, man. So I loved working on Uncorked as well. And uh, I always describe Uncorked as just kind of a, you you opening the curtains and peeking into the life of this ordinary middle-class Black family and the the struggles that they deal with, the joys that they deal with, the successes and failures and what your parents want for you, but what you want for yourself and chasing after your own dreams when your your parents are like, or your one parent is like, no, this is what I want you to do and not supporting that. And then the other parent is like, baby, go and do whatever your heart's desire. Um, and then, you know, what happens when when one of those parents is no longer there and how do you navigate through life and still pursuing the thing that you want to pursue, but not wanting to disappoint the other parent. It's just, it was, it was, it was great. Well, I have to say, um, this is probably the silliest thing I'm going to say this whole podcast, I hope. (laughs) Um, But, but in the film, there's so much barbecue and Mm -hmm. there's so much (laughs) wine 
And I just want to say, I think if you're going to watch this movie, you should not go in empty handed or on an empty stomach, if you know what I mean. Yeah. The the segue I want to say is like the the film's dialogue, though, is this bubbly and it's snappy. And I know it's going to come in editing some of that, but it kind of felt like I was watching a play. And I'm wondering, how did that bubbly dialogue come about? Was it just the script or was it the way it was directed? I think it was both. So Prentice Penny, um, who is an incredible writer and director, he's the showrunner for Insecure. He just, just his energy, you know, it just felt very much like, oh, of course this story would come from this inter- individual who is so complex and, and simple in some regards. And he did give us liberty and freedom to kind of change the words. When you have somebody like Niecy Nash, um, who is a comedic genius, you know, and who can make words sound funny even by just speaking them, you know, um, she she brings her own flair and fire. And then Courtney B. Vance, who is a comedian in his own right, as well. Um, and just the two of them together. And then everybody else, there was, Prentice did such an amazing job in, in kind of creating an atmosphere that did feel like a family and his writing, a lot of it was just excellent writing and, and his directing as well. I would like to say this though, um, when I think it was earlier this summer, and you may have been talking about this movie, you, you spoke up in an interview about what it was like being a black woman in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. you said that you used to fear speaking up uh, because you didn't want to make others feel uncomfortable. It seems like there's a broader awareness of the way racism is woven into our society. But I'm wondering, mm-hmm. in the light of all that, do you think things could change? And do you think things are going to change? I do think things can change, and I am hopeful that things will change. When I, I have a 20-year-old nephew who was very um, impacted by the, the riots and the protesting, and just speaking with him and you know his anger, he was so angry and and didn't really know what to do with his anger and i feel like his generation they are angry but i also feel like they will get to a point where they are like enough is enough the way that the other generations have done it is not working we have to come together you know reverend al sharpton spoke at george floyd's funeral and he made a comment that you know, he's been around for a long time and he's seen a lot of things. But what he had not seen during his lifetime was how people all over the world of all races, gender, religious backgrounds, you name it, all came together to stand with one voice and say, this is not right. Change needs to happen. And so I I am hopeful that we will continue to put action behind the passion that we have. You know, there's a scripture that says zeal, it is not good to have zeal without knowledge. And so be passionate, but also understand what needs to happen for change to occur, whether that is getting out and voting and understanding that it's more than just voting for the president. You have to vote locally as well and understand who you are voting for. I was convicted on the ride home today when I was listening to um, someone who was running 
for election for the board of, of the public school system out here. And I was like, oh, I had no idea about that. And so really wanting to take the time to research and understand who has my best interests at heart. Wow. I, I want to take a big breath there because uh, I think yes. um, that is a lot to think about and a lot to act on. And it's not something that's going to happen, unfortunately, overnight. No, not at all. The name of our podcast is I'm So Obsessed. And Kelly, what are you currently so obsessed with? Ooh, what am I currently so obsessed with? Mm, that is a great question. Um, there is a book that I have been reading, and it is called Hind's Feet on High Places by Darian B. Cooper. And I have been obsessed with reading this book and um, trying to understand this story. I am almost finished with it, but I have been hesitant because I don't want it to end. I, I think I have like two chapters left and and I I've been hesitant to finish reading it because mm-hmm. like but then it's then it's over. So that's that's been my obsession. Uh, say so what what's the the book about? So um it is about this young lady her name is Much Afraid and she and as her name implies she is afraid of everything. And so she's going on this journey to got, try to get to the high places and it's just t- kind of talking about the fear that she has to overcome to get to this high place. And she is on this journey with the good shepherd, but then like bitterness and resentment and pride come in and try to, you know, distract her and take her off the path and let her know like, no, you, you know, you don't look good enough. Your feet are crippled. You, you're no, you'll never make it up there. And so it's just, it's a story about her kind of overcoming all of the obstacles that are placed in front of her to get to the high places. Wow. That sounds amazing. actually. <laughs> uh, speaking of like overcoming obstacles, much different obstacles. Um, I think for a lot of people, we we learned first about you um, in 2018 when you were nominated for an Emmy Award, Emmy mm-hmm. Award for your work on a Handsmaid's Tale. But you had been working in Hollywood for for years before that. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I, I'm wondering when you look back at at those years of like a lot of work where you weren't getting the work, and you look back on the getting the nomination. What do those things have in common, and and how do they work together? Persistence, you know. Um, Someone said, and and I don't know how true this is, but Harrison Ford, he did an interview and he was asked, like, you know, what do you contribute your success to and and why do you think you made it? And he said, I stayed. You know, he had many friends who left Hollywood who just couldn't make it, but he stayed. And so I moved out to California in October of 2006. I'm coming up on my 14 year anniversary, which I'm like, this is crazy. Um, (laughs) But I didn't book my first TV role until 2013. And, you know, in that that time between 2006 and 2013, I was taking classes. I was 
working other jobs. I was doing research. I was doing plays. I was just doing my best to stay active and doing everything that I could to just stay here. And then also kind of just readjusting what my idea of success was, because of course, when I first came out to LA, it was like, oh yeah, I, you know, I know I can act. I'm talented. Here I am, Hollywood. What do you want to put me in? And it was like, yeah, everybody out here, you know, the person that you just passed at the gas station, they're an actor. And the person that just served you your drink at the restaurant, they're an actor. And the the pastor that <laughs> preached on Sunday, he's an actor. Like everybody <laughs> is out here pursuing this thing. And so understanding that baby steps were still steps and it didn't matter how many baby steps I needed to take to get to my destination just continue to put one foot in front of the other. And I think being able to do that and then being prepared, you know, I, my husband always jokes all the time, like I'll spend hours preparing myself for an audition. Um, and, and the quote, you know, some uh, amateurs practice until they get it right. Professionals practice until they can't get it wrong. And so that mm. is, that's my thinking, like, I need to do this until there is no way I can get it wrong. And that's just kind of been what I've held on to. And I want to ask you a little bit about Handmaid's Tale. Again, this, uh, you, you know, if you think about that, you think about um, All Day and a Night, and you think about Manhunt, Deadly Games, are you drawn to that kind of subject or that material? Or do you just find yourself being cast in those kinds of roles? I think maybe it's a little bit of both. I love drama, which is interesting because I'm so silly. Like I, I am the comedian of my family, always cracking everybody up. Like I love to laugh. I love to make people laugh. I love to just enjoy myself. And yet there is something about being able to kind of step out of that and into a role that is considered heavy or weighty or, you know, I think it's also like the meatiness of it, you know, with, with the handmaid's tale, being able to tell this story of a woman who, whose husband left her for someone else and telling the story of, of Delanda who has miserably failed her child, but was failed as a child herself. And, you know, with Manhunt telling this story. And so there's just something about about being able to share those stories. And and I'm grateful for the responsibility to be able to share those stories. I wrap up with a thing called pick one and I give you a couple options and you pick okay. one. It doesn't mean the one thing you pick is better than the other because some of them are okay. kind of hard, but you're encouraged to talk it out. So the first one is, Theater or film? Ooh, theater. There is just something about being present and in that moment and having to to get it right, right then and there. And then if you don't, what do you do to get back on track? It just, I feel like I'm, I'm just always on my toes in theater. And then just having that immediate reaction from the audience. Um, I remember when I did The Color Purple, the musical, and um, it was in a small little black box theater with Celebration Theater and just being able to look out in the audience and see people crying with us or laughing with us, you know, it just does something for, for your spirit to say, oh, 
you know, people need this. This is healing. This is enjoyable um, for people. So, yeah. Hmm. All right. Next one. Atlanta or L.A.? Atlanta. People ask me like, oh, where are you from? And I always say I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, but I live in L.A. L.A. is home, but it's my second home. And I think Atlanta, because I was born and raised there and my family is still there. My parents are still there. Um, Most of my siblings are still there. And it's just it's just always home. All right. Being a radio DJ or being a stand up comic? Ooh. Uh, quick, funny little story. I've been both. Um, but, Mm -hmm. but the radio DJ, it was just my own radio station that I made up when I was a kid. Um, so not, um, not anything, uh, that was like on the airwaves right now. And I've also done stand-up comedy. Ooh, which one would I choose? I think I, I, I would choose, uh, being a comedian. And is it kind of a, a little bit less same with theater, just that that you're in the moment with the audience, with a joke, with a story? Yeah, yeah. And, and it just, it definitely keeps you on your toes. I gained so much more respect for comedians when I took um, a workshop, a, I think it was an eight-week workshop class that, that I had to take. And we had to actually perform just five minutes of stand-up. And, <laughs> you know, it was like, I, I understood why people will do the same stand up over and over and over again. You know, it, it took us eight weeks to perfect five minutes. So it just, I just gained a greater, greater respect for them. Okay. This last one, I, this is, this is probably the hardest one. So Robert Townsend's the five heartbeats or Robert Townsend's Hollywood shuffle. Ooh, I got to go with the five heartbeats. Because that is that is what kind of pushed me into like, that's what I want to do. I remember watching that. I remember I can recite pretty much every line of that film verbatim. Um, the the girl who sang uh, no matter how hard it gets, like I thought that I was her. I performed it. And even to this day, um, I will still perform it how she performs it. And my husband, Melvin, he just has to get on board. He has to play duck. You know, I'm just like, you got to do it. Like, if you want this marriage to be successful and happy, you better be duck. I want to thank Kelly for chatting with me. And I want to thank you for listening. You can watch Uncorked All Day and a Night and Manhunt Deadly Games on Netflix. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.